Hello and welcome to episode 154 of the Batflip Crazy podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Today is edition number 58 of Bubba and the Batflip. Bubba and I will be continuing our early season previews of different positions, and we'll be moving on from exciting catcher position that we did last week to doing first base uh, this week, which actually is is a really intriguing position to me this year. It's very, very deep, um, but also pretty shallow in the middle. So an interesting interesting position to take a look at. So hope you guys enjoy this. We'll be coming to you uh, next week with the second base uh, early season preview. Uh, as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please do go to iTunes and leave a uh, rating and review. Always appreciate that. It's, all, it's actually been a little bit since we got a new uh, rating and review. So if anybody wants to be kind enough to go over there and do that, um, would greatly appreciate it. Uh, if not, no worries. Um, just appreciate you guys listening. You can reach me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. You can reach Bubba on Twitter um, at BDNTrek. Let's get this party started. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 58, to your first base preview early season Preview going down tonight, talking about the top 10 NFBC ADP, some deeper round targets, and a ton of awesome listener questions to get us ready for the first base position, which to me, a little better than normal. I'm doing the um, fantasy black book this year, and this year instead of catchers and relief pitchers, I have first base and third base, and it's deeper than I felt it was last year, let's put it that way. So that makes it a little fun, but you can find me on Twitter at BDNTrick and my co-host, as always, on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. We almost took down the trivia contest last night, but how are we doing, Toby? Uh, we're doing pretty well, you know. the 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 day after can be hard sometimes. Um, but uh, Bubba and and I were on a team for trivia. So my brother runs a, a nonprofit organization that um, is focused on helping people um, helping people play college baseball um, without having to pay like the exorbitant costs of travel ball and um, you know recruiting agencies, all of that, all of that jazz. And so they they couldn't do their annual event, so they did a trivia event. And uh, we had a team, me, Bubba, um, Sammy Reed, Brian Slack, um, Alex Chamberlain, and um, uh, who, am I, who am I forgetting? I knew I would, this was going to happen. Justin Mason. Justin Mason. How could I forget Justin? The MVP. Uh, the MVP. The MVP <laughs> for sure. Um, and um, yeah, so we had a team. We were winning through three rounds, three rounds of eight questions. We had only missed one question. And we ended up we ended up losing it in the last round. We missed a few of them. It was a, it was a little tough. It was hard to hard to take, but all all in good fun. And and Bubba won a pair of signed uh, Ricky Fowler cleats uh, in the uh, in the raffle. So we all we're all winners when that happens. Yep, everyone's a winner. It was a good cause. I wasn't expecting to win anything, so it worked out pretty well in the grand scheme of things. So that was fun. And then we get to. Chat it up again tonight and uh, do some first base preview, which should be fun. I remember, like last week, we talked about ADP. There is one draft in the books. Now we have eight to go off of. I made the outline when there was five finalized. So in a rough way, let's see. Boom. There's been a little shift, a little shift in ADPs, but uh, we'll get the gist of it. The top 10 is still the same, just moved around a little bit. So we'll cover all them and uh, get to some deeper stuff for you. Like we said, the listener questions is where the real fun is going to be at tonight. 
So let's get started here. Your first baseman, your first first baseman off the board, the NL MVP off the board around pick 14 right now. So back end of round one. And again, these are for draft champions, obviously more of like a best ball type format than a regular format. So keep that in mind as we're talking ADP here. They'll fluctuate when we get into like main event drafts or online championships uh, closer to the season. But Freddie Freeman pick 14 off the board really can't make a gigantic argument against this, but what's your thoughts on Freddie Freeman? Yeah. I mean, Freddie Freeman is an, is an elite hitter. Um, he's in a very good lineup. Obviously we have to figure out, you know, what happens with Marcelo Zuna because it, it benefited him to have him hitting behind him just from an RBI perspective. But, you know, I don't think you can really go wrong with Freeman. You know, generally speaking, I want to take speed early on in drafts. And so obviously, you know, Freeman is not going to provide that, but he's just such a solid profile. I think he contributes um, in a lot of ways, you know, in those four, those, those four, first four, he's similar to like an Arenado for me um, at this point where I probably won't draft him, but um, you know, the speed, the lack of speed is the one, you know, little bit of a, of an issue that he has, but you know, he crushes and there's not much to add to that. He's, it's beautiful to watch him hit baseballs. Um, and that's, that's about the extent of the analysis that I'll provide on, on Freddie. But I do think it's one of those things where, you know, if you want to get a top uh, starting pitcher, you know, you also want to address speed and batting average earlier. Obviously Freddie helps with the latter, but you'll need to think about speed, which certainly you can make up uh, throughout the rest of the draft, but not without, you know, some, some sacrifices. Yeah, no doubt about it. That's the biggest thing with him is no, no stolen bases. But actually, he got two this year, so that's more than I expected. But yeah, he doesn't steal much at all. Uh, the the interesting things is you're going to get a lot of arguments this offseason. Well, can he do it again? And because he was ridiculous this year, 341 with 13 homers, 53 RBIs in 60 games. That's like pretty darn good. If you look at his X stats, he had a 341 X batting average. His X Woba was 441. His Woba was 449. Like the numbers calculate out pretty good. His you know, it's his highest barrel rate, but he's at 14.7. But last year, 12.5, he's had a bunch of 13s. Not not insane. The biggest difference is, is the hard hit rate jumped 12%. How's just like if he gets back to his normal, like 43, 44, what do we see there? A little drop off, of course, but still pretty darn good. But the K rate dropped, the walk rate went up. A lot of things to really like with the Freddie Freeman is still going to be in a very strong lineup. So not a lot you have to argue when it comes to Freddie Freeman. He's just an absolute t- talent at the plate. Uh, still pretty darn young. Actually, he's going to be 32 next September. I think he's that old already. But uh, still, that's not that old in baseball terms. But he, he's getting up there faster than I thought he was. Let's put it that way. But, yeah, I wouldn't be worried about him. If you want to take him and you can address your stolen bases later, which you can, cool. Like, he's one of those guys, like you mentioned, Arenado. It's okay if I take Freddie here, try to maybe get a pitcher in round two. Do I go out of Bartholomew to see to try to, to play the game? Like there's little things like that, or do you make sure you like a Starling Marte and a couple other guys that got, you know, 15, 20, 25 steal upside coming after that. Things along those lines as you roster build, but Freddie, totally fine play there. Yeah. And just a a couple pieces, like his contact rate did improve by about 4% last year. So that's certainly a good takeaway. And his O swing, his you know, swing on pitches outside the zone was also down um, to like a career low, I think. Um, so some really positive movement there. Again, we need to figure out the East was the worst when it came to pitching, you know, just overall, uh, the AL and the NL East. And so we need to factor that in to figure out, is that an actual skill change or just small sample size with a little bit worse pitching, um, than he's used to, but, you know, again, 
that doesn't change necessarily the the overall landscape for Freddy. Yeah, it doesn't change the overall thing. But the next one gets a little more interesting. Uh, the second player off the board around pick 15, going, uh, he's going three quarters of a pick after Freddie Freeman, which kind of surprised me a little bit because I'm kind of still skeptical on Cody Bellinger uh, being able to do what he did a few years ago. But I'm looking, yeah, he, he played 19 games at uh, first base this past year, so he does qualify there, which is good. But uh, coming off a season, you know, Dodgers won the World Series. Cody had a, a pretty good uh, playoff, especially in the World Series. He showed power all season and stole some bags. That's kind of his appeal. He's got the power-speed combo. But the batting average, we saw 305 in 2019. We haven't seen anything really close to that since. So I think that's more of a reality we have to start sinking in with. What's your take with Cody Bellinger? Yeah, you know, probably not a guy that I'm going to go after at this point in time. You know, we have – we've got a pretty large sample size now in the majors and he obviously mashed in 2019, but if you remember a lot of that was the first half. Mm -hmm. And so I think that first half that he had, maybe that's the best that we see of Bellinger. He's still young. So there's the possibility that um, he could stu still, um, oh, well, it'd be hard to beat that, but you know, so I think, I think we kind of have a good sense of who he is as a player. Um, and so, you know, with that being said, like, I think the batting average is a little bit of a of a question mark to me. The 239 is too low. I mean, the BABIP was 245 compared to 297 for his career. But, you know, there's some also some metrics like the hard hit rate was down significantly. He's not necessarily like a stat cast darling. Um, you know, overall career 10.7% uh, barrel rate. So again, you know, there's nothing that necessarily jumps off the page. I think the most valuable thing is that he's a first baseman with significant power and speed, and he certainly still possesses uh, both of those pieces. I don't think we're going to see him hit, you know, 47 home runs again. You know, Steamer has him at 40 home runs, uh, 12 stolen bases. That's obviously very, very good. I have a little bit of doubt about the batting average. You know, he's 273 for his career. And really that the 300 plus batting average that he had in 19 really, really jumps out, sticks out like a sore thumb. So I won't be targeting him, you know, uh, probably this, this early on in drafts. Um, I'd feel better about getting Bellinger, who's going just about the same spot as he is. Uh, the dual position eligibility is nice, but again, with outfield, I think outfield's a pretty deep position this year. And so I don't necessarily feel like it's it's super important in his case. It's always nice to have that flexibility. I think we all realize that this year. But so not necessarily a target for me, Bellinger. But I think solid all around. The power speed combo is what carries it, as we know. Yeah, the power speed for sure. Like the forty home runs, maybe he, like that steamer projects him for. Maybe he can get there. I think he gets more than twelve stolen bases though. I think he's one of those guys that can get you like thirty-five homers, fifteen plus steals, which is huge. That's like big big numbers. But the batting average is not going to be there. That's just. Something I, I've learned to uh, to live with. And, you know, for all the chatter on Twitter these days about Max Exit Velo, he was 151st in baseball in 2019. So just, you know, not, not the greatest uh, Max Exit Velo. But uh, he does hit the ball hard. I'm not going to knock him for that. Just uh, he, even this last year, he was doing things. He was changing his swing, which, you know, coming off a season where he hit 305 and he wants to change his swing, makes you wonder what's going on. Is he hurt? Is he trying to – like, what's he trying to do? What's he trying to accomplish? And the Babbitt took a major hit this year, like you said. So maybe the average will come up to live more like that 260 range, which is not bad, but um, it's tricky. So if you are you want the power speed guy at first base, there's not a lot of speed to begin with. Okay, I could see your argument there. 
But I'm with you. Outfield's super deep this year, like really, really deep, especially with pitching going as early as it is. You can get outfield late. So I'm um, I'm probably not reaching for a Cody Bellinger at this point in time. At the back end of round one, I'm going for one of the big shortstops, maybe a J-Ram or a pitcher or something along those lines. But uh, nothing against Cody, just not uh, my cup of tea. He's a tinkerer. Bella. He's a tinkerer. He's a tinkerer. Yeah, we don't want tinkerers. That's that's that that's guys we have to wait on to figure it out and hope they figure it out. It's always trouble. Totally. <laughs> but uh, it's with the good things. Exactly. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Mm. Um, the third first baseman off the board, and we could talk about him for three episodes. We'll talk about him once. He's first base, second base, third base eligible, um, and that's DJ Lemayhew coming in at pick twenty six point five. He um, actually finished I think third, third or fourth in the AL MVP voting which is impressive for everyone said he could not hit outside of Coors. He hit 364 this year, 327 last year, two years with the Yankees. 10 homers, three steals this year, 26 homers, five steals last year. A guy that does not walk a ton, but doesn't strike out much either. Sub 10% K rate this year, which was outstanding. Uh, there's a lot to like about DJ LeMay. He was, the one thing we don't know is where he'll be playing next year. A lot of people assume he'll go back to the Yankees, but you never know. Maybe they, they want to save some cash and go get a Colton Wong or something. So you never know there. But what's your takes on LeMayu? Because this is a multi-position eligibility play that's huge, but you have to pay back into the second round, which for a guy that, um, you know, career-wise, you know, 15 before 2019, 15 was his max home runs, you're asking for everything to roll just right. Yeah, I think a lot of this for me will depend on where he ends up. Um, I don't see myself grabbing him here necessarily just because I think with the, without – you know, batting average is really, really critical, obviously, but without speed and without, you know, the, the, the home runs that, that really count, it's, it's kind of hard to, um, it's hard to see him. Like he has to essentially replicate what he's been doing in past seasons in order to, to get his value, which is certainly a possible, but again, like, I, I don't think we can necessarily expect him to repeat so a lot will depend on where he ends up. Obviously, Yankee Stadium is perfect for him from a power perspective, you know, because he hits the ball to the opposite field on such a consistent basis. I should actually check this. Let's see, last year. 43.4%. Yeah, eight, eight home runs at home versus two on the road. Let's see, 19. Yeah, 19 home runs on the road, seven away. So if he doesn't return to Yankee Stadium, I think that you're going to see those power numbers dip significantly. And so without speed, without power, and depending on which lineup he ends up, potentially not with RBIs, you know, um, or RBI, whatever plural you want to say of it. Um, without those things, I think there's a very hard road to return value at that particular point in time. Now, he certainly has the position flexibility which I think is really critical. It's super helpful, but I don't think it's enough to really carry him to this particular spot. The batting average is awesome. But if you're looking for batting average, that probably comes with a little bit more speed and probably similar home run potential. Just wait and get Jeff McNeil, you know, hundred almost 100 picks later. So Or, or Whit Merrifield. Or Whit Merrifield. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, um, so I just think that there's... I just think that it's it's one of these situations where, you know, the guys who drafted him in 2019 um, uh, super lucked out. Last year, you kind of lucked out. And now it's like, this has gone too far. This has gone yeah. too far on DJ LeMayhew. 
and kind of back off. If he doesn't end up with the Yankees, I think it's an even, it's a much bigger drop for me because I do think that that ballpark plays particularly towards that power that he has. He can hit anywhere because he's got that all fields approach, but that power I think is pretty unique to Yankee stadium for him. Um, unless he goes somewhere else that has a very short portion, right? Yeah. Not too many of those, maybe the angels. That's about all the top, top of my head that pops up. But uh, yeah, and there's there's more I want to look into on him because his barrel rate dropped to two point nine percent this year. His ground ball rate rose eight percent to fifty seven percent, while his fly ball rate dropped to twelve percent overall. Like there's a lot of run good in what took place with DJ LeMayu this year. So I, I'd really like to see a deeper dive on him because I'm, I've I've always been hesitant to to buy into a pretty much batting average only type guy with a little bit of upside elsewhere. And now he's coming up to pick twenty six. There's it's highly unlikely that I'll own any DJ the Mayhew. Like the only leagues that I really like DJ in, and again, at pick 26, I still don't even like him there. He's phenomenal in OBP leagues. Like amazing in OBP leagues. So that's always nice, but where he's getting drafted, I just I can't stomach it. It does not work out at all in the, in the grand scheme of things. So no DJ probably for me. This is why this position, I'm good with it being so deep because I'm like, okay, Freddie, I get it. I'll probably pass. Cody, probably going to pass. Um, you, got, you got DJ, probably going to pass. That pick four, it's Jose Abreu, and he's going around 33.25, so early round three, which stinks because, you know, in years past, he's eighth, ninth, tenth round pick. Like, we could have a, a great value in a Jose Abreu, but he's the AL MVP for good reasons, uh, hitting 317 with 19 home runs this past year, 60 RBIs. For those keeping track at home, he played in 60 games. It's an RBI game on average, which is actually really, really good. But um, the guy's a beast. He's been consistently one of the best players at the position just doesn't get the recognition as some of the big guys, but it's hard to take him at this price point. What are you uh, doing with Jose Abreu? Yeah, I think it's the price point for me. Um, you know, just looking at his line, obviously he had an absolutely phenomenal season. He's an incredibly good hitter. I think he's a very safe hitter in terms of what he's going to contribute. Uh, you know, the 317 was a career, well, it tied for his career high in 2014 in terms of batting average. Uh, the 350 BABIP um, was about 25 points uh, higher than his career um, average. So again, there's going to be a little bit of give in that batting average, I think, you know, over the course of a full season as we get a larger sample size and he kind of um, regresses towards his, 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 his mean. Um, the stat cast data is obviously nice with him, but 6% dip in contact rate is a little bit of a worry for me. Um, the ground ball rate remains uh, relatively high for a guy with his type of power. So he needed a 32.8% home run per fly ball rate uh, last year um, in order to get to that home run total that he did, which, you know, honestly led the league. And so I think, you know, having him um, replicate what he did in 2019, you know, 284, 33 home runs, you know, 85 runs, 123 RBI, that's certainly, I think, within the realm of possibility for Abreu, but I just don't want to pay that price for it. Uh, you know, it's not that I necessarily think the price is that bad because I do think that it's, it's pretty, um, you know, I think he's pretty safe. He's a safe hitter. I'm not worried about him falling off a cliff necessarily. Um, but I, I just don't want to pay, you know, a premium for, you know, the RBI, which I think I can get later on the power, which I think I can get later on. You know, the batting average is really nice, but again, I don't expect him to replicate that 317. So overall, a really nice situation, a really nice scenario, but I just don't see myself paying uh, the cost that we're going to be asked to pay.
pay this year. You know, again, another kind of career year uh, that we're that we're that we're having to pay for right here, which I, I don't think I'm going to be willing to do this year. Yeah, the reason why I always let Jose Abreu is like he's good for 285 to sometimes 300, like in that range, 285, 295. Let's say that batting average. He's going for like 20 to 30 home runs year after year. Like you could just pencil him in for pretty solid numbers as a good floor every single season. Um, you are getting him off a career year, which is really really tricky. Does not steal bags, which is a big bugaboo. But I am curious about Abreu. I'm not going to this. The price tag is a little steep for me, that's for sure. But he's definitely done some things the last two years, even in 2019. He saw his barrel rate jump up over 3%, almost 4% from 2018 to 2019, jumped about a point and a half last year. So he had a big jump going into 2019 and kind of carried it into 2020. Same thing for his hard hit rate. So it wasn't like he sure, like obviously had career highs in these things this year, but he had his biggest jumps going into 2019. So I'm curious if there was a change in what's going on with him that, that made the big difference. And, he obviously maximized his contact because you mentioned the contact went down, but you know his weak contact was 0.5% of the time, like 0.5% of the time. That is, that's called hitting the ball hard pretty much every time you touch the baseball. That is really, really good. So, uh, and the fly ball rate didn't change much. Uh, ground ball rate didn't change much. You, you know, there, there's a lot to like with the Brayu. So it is really interesting to me what he's done differently. And he's getting older, which stinks, but still in a really, really good lineup. I wish he was like at least like round five or so. Like give me something back there and like make me debate between him and like Nelson Cruz. And then we could have some fun. I'd probably still take Nelly Cruz, but like, at least you have the argument there. It's just really tricky early round three, taking a break again in a deep first base position coming off a career year. It's uh, it's not easy, not easy at all. Yeah. Just for context, my spreadsheet right now has him as the 43rd ranked player, you know? So again, fairly close to, to where he's at. Um, but you know, still overpriced a little bit. Yeah, and talking about career years, the next guy going fifth overall, Mr. Luke Voigt. And I just wrote an article at Rotoballer, kind of a year in review on what uh, went right. Is he worth the price going into 2020? Uh, 2021, I mean. And the issue is he's going up at pick 51. So it is a break now. You get about a 16-pick break or 18-pick break from a Brave to Voigt. So, you know, you got four guys going early by the end of early round three. Then you get a break towards the end of round four-ish range. For Luke Voigt, again, coming off a monster season where he hit um, 277, last, uh, 2019 hit 263, 22 home runs in 56 games. Probably not sustainable, but there have been changes in his approach at the plate that they've seen just in batting stance alone. Uh, Mike Curlin did great work on looking from 2018, 2019, 2020. He sent me videos on that. I was looking at that. The guy he changed is he opened his stance more, he used his hands more, like different things to help you kind of get to the ball in a, in a powerful uh, swing, use your lower body. He was doing all that stuff. He made some very major changes from early on until then. But there, there's questions like is, is his hard hit rate or his barrel rate dropped from the last couple of years. His hard hit rate was good, but it dropped in the last couple of years as well. Uh, the contact rates are, are in question also. Like they went through the roofs this year compared to years past. So they jumped up. Is that sustainable? A lot of question marks with Luke Voigt, but it's like, I could see Luke Voigt kind of being a Jose Abreu light potentially, potentially, and you're getting him 18 picks later. What's your thoughts on Luke Voigt? Yeah, Voigt's a little bit of a conundrum for me because, like you mentioned, I mean, there's some really interesting things going on. You know, he, he had a great season even though he had a career low Babbitt, right, at 268 compared to his career average of 323. 
you mentioned the contact rate surging as well. You know, when you look under the hood a little bit, though, the contact rate surged towards the end of last year. So it was at the highest point of his career over the last, you know, 30 games of, of last season. But if you remember last season, he started off super hot. And then the last few weeks of the season, you know, he hit a little bit of a rough patch. So during the time that that contact rate shot up, you know, his hard hit rate dropped, his ground ball rate uh, uh, went up. You know, he was chasing more pitches outside the zone. I know he was dealing with a little bit of an injury, he said, during the playoffs. I'm not sure whether that yeah. factored anything into there. But, you know, so I think it's one of those things where it's like, ah, the contact rate went up. That's awesome. You know, Babip was low. But then you kind of look at it and you're like, well, you know, the contact rate, it seems like he sacrificed in some other areas to see that contact rate increase. So, again, he should be in the middle of a Yankees lineup. You know, that's very good. There are a little bit of injury concerns uh, with him, given you know the time that he missed um, in 2019, and then the injury that he had, you know, kind of towards the back end of this year. It didn't seem to be anything serious. So certainly an interesting guy. I just have a hard time going after him, you know, at this ADP of 51. When I think there's some guys with relatively similar profiles that I can get for cheaper. You know, when you think about maybe a Max Muncy, you know, somebody like that that has multi-position eligibility at pick 94, you may be giving up a little bit of batting average, but I think the other, you know, metrics are going to be pretty similar. Even a Matt Olson, you're going to give a little bit in batting average, but he's fallen a few rounds. So again, he's not going to give you speed necessarily. He's not going to help you too much in batting average. And so I just don't necessarily want to pay that price. I don't have the full ADP to check out who else is going around him. And I haven't familiarized myself enough with it. But when you think about some of the really good hitters, you know, that can go around pick 50, I think, I think I'd rather be going with some of those over, over void at this point, especially because I do think there's, there's some bargains later on in first base. Yeah. Some other first basemen's like even later on um, Christian Walker is a guy I, I think you can compare pretty well to a Luke Voigt if things keep clicking the right way for uh, Christian Walker. But with Voigt, it's interesting because he's a guy, like we said, his contact rate went up and he's one that I kind of want to, I've seen it with other guys and his contact rate went up because you see him attack the first pitch 8% more of the time. So now he's attacking the first pitch almost 52% of the time. So he's getting good pitches to hit, or at least he's going to try to attack the first pitch. So even his chase rate goes up, his zone rate goes up, whatever, but he's attacking pitches. Um, he's, he's whiffing less. So he's swinging and missing less because he's swinging early in count and getting good pitches to hit. Like some of that correlates from time that, so that then, and usually not always first pitches are more get them in fastballs or get them over strikes. So they're easier to hit. Thus maybe more power. Like there's little things like that. That'd be interesting to look into. Like I'm not smart enough to do, but how many of his home runs came on first pitches or stuff like that? Uh, what kind of like, Woba or ex-Woba did he have on first pitches? Uh, stuff along those lines. I'd be really curious to see what Luke Voigt did in, in, in that respect. All right. The sixth first baseman off the board is one of Toby's favorites. Uh, big, big fan of number six because it's switched. Yeah. So it's, don't, don't pay attention to the outline. This switched over the last couple of days. But uh, going out round pick 60.3, Vladito. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has moved up to six. He passed Pete Alonso, who we'll talk about next. He was sixth as of Friday. Now he is not. Vlad Guerrero Jr. is the sixth first baseman off the board. Um, uh, you, has, your, has your thoughts changed on Vlad since last year? Are you still anti-Vlad Guerrero? You know, I saw those pics of him looking chiseled. 
you know, and I'm all in, Bubba. No, I, you know, I, I won't add anything new to my Vladito conversation. My concerns with Vladito, Vladito have always been like, he, you know, he's, he hits the ball really, really hard, but he hits it on the ground so much. And he actually doesn't hit the ball that hard in the air. Like when you compare his average exit velocity on line drives and fly balls, I probably should do that before I say that. I mean, in previous seasons, it wasn't there. Let's do this. This will be a good test. It's always fun when I do this, you know, because then I'm like, and I look, I look, I end up looking foolish because I say something, but um, let's see. Uh, Vlad. So he was 75th in baseball. Uh, with a 94.6 mile per hour average exit velocity on fly balls and line drives. He's obviously young. He could improve, but he's never had even a remotely good ground ball rate. And I still haven't been, you know, I, I just, I don't understand why he keeps going here. And again, he's young. He's got the prospect pedigree, but even his profile, like essentially what you're hoping for, he's not going to have speed. So what you're hoping for is that he increases both his power and his batting average. And I still doubt whether he can do the batting average just because his batting average in the minors was so dependent on a super high BABIP. And the fielders are better. The shifting is better. The data is better um, in Major League Baseball. So I'm sure that one year I will be very wrong on Vlad, on Vlad Jr. But, um, you know, again, I'm totally out on this price right now. Yeah, eventually, eventually it's going to click. Like his hard hit rate rose to almost 51% last year. Um, the, we know he can hit the ball far and hard when he hits it consistently, but yeah, his ground ball rate also jumped almost 5% last year. It's up to 54.5%. That's uh, you need to run real good on your fly balls, really good. A 17.5% fly ball rate. And he, and he doesn't even pull the ball that much. He pulls the ball as much as he gets to center field. So he's not really, you know, taking advantage of every possible power source he can hit right now. So there are definite questions, definite questions when it comes to Vladito. Um, I probably won't pay for him at this price either. I'd love to have him on my team that when he finally gets it going. But uh, to keep it simple, Vlad's one of those guys I love to roster in DFS because he gets streaky and he gets good matchups like the Orioles and whatnot, and you just ride that train and enjoy it for a few days. That, that's what you do, and you don't worry about those downers because when he slumps, he slumps pretty hard. And that that can be uh, tough to deal with to, in your lineup because you know you, you drafted him so early and you get stubborn and you, know, you think you need to roster him. And it can hurt you at times. But one of these days, like you said, it's going to click. It really will with him because the talent is pretty darn legit. I just won't be touching him this year either. Yeah, and he's going to be one that will be really interesting because the projections love him. At least Steamer loves him. So yeah, they loved him last year too. Yeah. They love him every year. Steamer has him as as the the 24th best player overall. But it also has him hitting 299, which you know is 20-plus points higher than his, he's ever hit before. And that may just be because of the batting average, uh, because of um, uh, because of you know what he did in the minors in terms of batting average. But um, yeah, I I just like I can't see it. Yeah, uh, the seventh first baseman off the board is a guy I can't draft. But you know, last year a lot of it was price point. This year is a little more intriguing. I'm still not a hundred percent in on him. But if you want a ton of home runs, Pete Alonso is going to pick sixty five point seven five. And he's coming off a season, a shortened season, where he hit six, 16 homers in 57 games, hit 231 after going 53 homers, hitting 260 the year before. Um, Babbitt dropped from 280 to 242. There's just questions for me with Pete Alonso. Like he, the power is legit. There's no doubt in that. He barreled the ball 3% less this last year. 
I, I mentioned it, uh, I think, at least in the update, in the midseason update last year before we actually started the shortened season, that doing more research on him, especially in the second half of 2019, they started throwing him off speed pitches, especially off the plate, and he was chasing, chasing, chasing. And it was a big bugaboo of him. I haven't dug in super deep on it in a while, but I know even to start the season, he was still doing the same thing, and it was really affecting his overall play. And it's a young kid thing, and it's the old story. You know, they all know he can hit a fastball, so come hit an off-speed pitch. But if it's in the zone, he can, you know, he's got so much power, he can make it work. But it's his discipline he's got to work on some more. And his strikeout rate was the same. His walker was the same. That didn't change. So I, the bad average could be a big hole unless he figures it out. Now, if he figures it out, he's a great pick at this point. So it's kind of what's your risk-reward here? What's your thoughts, Toby? Yeah, you know – Alonzo's interesting here because, mm-hmm. you know, last year, you know, I think a lot of people would say he was a disappointment, but, you know, pretty consistent year. Um, he, um, so his, his contact rate was fairly similar. Again, you'd expect a guy like this to have a really low contact rate, but his is, is, is fairly reasonable. I mean, 71.5%. So he and Jose Abreu have the same contact rate. Um, at least they did this past year. His play discipline actually Im- improved um, from 2019 to 2020. You know, again, um, uh, you know, pretty consistent. But I think what what we saw, like, you know, I think what 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 maybe happened to Alonzo this year is he was just starting to heat up towards the end of the year. Uh, when when it got cut short and you can see that with the ground ball rate um, going down um, for him on his rolling average graph there actually to the to to the lowest point I think of his career at a certain point um, you know the barrel rate dipped a little bit but it was still um, 12.8 percent you know max exit velo is still there average exit velocity is still there so I think he's the same guy and the price is actually fairly interesting I mean steamer Mm -hmm. has him projected for a 245 batting average, 43 home runs, 94 runs, 104 um, RBI, and that would make him the 35th most valuable player, you know, according to to my spreadsheet. So at pick 65, it's kind of interesting to me. It's not a profile that I'd like to get at this particular point in time, but I feel pretty comfortable with him kind of where I feel pretty good now that he's going to be a really good player on a consistent basis. Batting average may be up and down a little bit, but you know, it can also be up a little bit. So, I'm I'm intrigued. I don't know if I'll pull the I don't know if I'll go after him at this particular point in time in the draft, but I think this is a much better um, I think this is a much better uh, that like from a value perspective, this is so much better than where he was going last year. Yeah, it's it's a, definitely a much better spot. I guess the if I have to play devil's advocate at all, and I'm much more interested in this year than I am the year before, but uh, the comment we said with Freddie Freeman, he hit in the East. So how much should we be concerned that his bad numbers dropped 30 points hitting in the East? That's the only thing, but you, like I, you did say, and I agree, he was getting better as things went on. We could say that about a few players that, you know, they need that full Heck, you could say with Garrett Cole, we saw in, in every season pretty much with Cole, once he started getting going with the Astros and everything, that it takes a little while to get going. And then he just goes through a run. He's unstoppable in the second half. And he started to get that way towards the end of the season. Maybe the Saints for Pete Alonzo. So definitely something to think about there. The eighth first baseman off the board, you mentioned him a second ago. He's a pick 87.5. Mr. Matt Olson 
has jumped up to the eighth spot, was ninth on Friday. Oh, wow. Um, he's moving up, and I think it's one of those where the early drafts were like, you know what, he let us down so much this last year. He struck out all the time, it felt like. Uh, he struck out 31.4% of the time. I'd say uh, almost – it's over a 6% jump from uh, 2019. But he also walked uh, over 4.5% more than the year before. But a buck 95 average, a 227, X, or a 227 BABIP, which is as low as 2017, still managed 14 homers through all that. So he um, had a really rough go is the, the best way I can put it. I'm kind of wondering if uh, – I, I think he's a good bounce back candidate. Let's put it that way. If you want a guy with some big-time power, uh, with maybe a 250-ish average, I think there's a lot to like here. What's your thoughts on Matt Olson? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. I, I'd be there's a couple things going through my mind. I mean, number one, he was certainly very unlucky, right? Two twenty seven Babbitt. The strikeout rate was way up as well, but plate discipline was better. Contact rate down significantly. I just wonder though how much of that too. Like he did go, he did face a lot of lefties. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that the West had a ton of lefties. And so I'm just wondering, you know, it looks like he may have had, yeah, he did. He had a 36.7% K rate against the lefties in 2020. So I wonder how much that was a factor. You know, again, like he's going to be in the middle of that lineup. He's still hitting for power. The batting average is definitely uh, a concern, but, you know, I think this is just a matter of, you know, him being a little bit unlucky. So I still don't think that I'll grab him at this particular spot. You know, he, I believe a little bit more in, in what, um, you know, what Alonzo is doing, I think. Um, yeah, he had a 224 expected BA. So, yeah, I mean, I probably am not targeting Olsen here necessarily, but I also don't think it's a, I don't think it's a terrible pick. I don't think it's out of the question for, from a value perspective. Yeah, it's definitely a value uh, for me at this point in the draft. I think there's he's definitely a bounce back candidate. I don't see him hitting this bad. He's he's a better player than this. Um, getting out of the divisional help a, a bit from time to time, and uh, I definitely like Matty Olson getting back to at least a two fifty ish hitter, and he's still going to hit you thirty five plus homers probably. So I think there's a ton of the like here. The price tag is good. Alonzo seems a little more appealing now, which really just changes everything from what I thought going into last season, but. Um, there is got to be some concern with Olsen because if, if they know there's such a weakness with lefties, you start seeing a lot of lefties get thrown to them late in the game. So they start sitting numbers lefties. A lot of those questions that we haven't had to worry about in the past with Matt Olsen. So that'd be my biggest, uh, biggest concern, something to monitor as we get into spring training. The ninth first baseman off the board. Talk about a guy that was probably undrafted in a lot of leagues or super late in a lot of leagues. Outfield first base eligible for the New York Mets. Pick 90.25. Dominic Smith coming off an absolutely awesome, awesome 2019 season. Everyone's kind of been, you know, saying they wanted to see him get his chance and all that good stuff. He finally got, he's 25 years old, be 26 next June, hit 318, 10 homers. Um, we saw him at 282 in a, in 90 games, roughly in 2019. So the bats there, the powers there, he finally got to play every day. Interesting guy here. We haven't seen the full season out of Dom Smith and, the Mets always have a lot of moving parts. It feels like he has to have everyday playing time by now. But what's your thoughts on Dom Smith around pick 90? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a little early for me. Um, when I 
when I just take a look at the profile, so like number one, it's it's buoyed pretty pretty steadily by that 368 um, Babbitt. You know, um, again, 304 batting average, expected BA, but the expected metrics, especially over a short period of time, like I'm not going to rely too heavily on those. Um, the line drive was a, up, line drive right was up a little bit over what he provided in in 2019. You know, but the ground ball rate is pretty similar. So that seems like a fairly steady skill profile. Home run per five ball rate was right about in line as well. So um, I think, you know, I think he's he's all, all around. He's pretty solid. Um, I guess I just would like uh, drafting a guy at this particular point in the draft. I, I can't remember what you said he was. In mine, I'm, I have him at 81.5 for ADP. Um which just strikes me as being like super early, like um, on a 199 plate appearance sample size. Do we know how well he hits lefties? Like, are, is he definitely not going to be a platoon guy? Um, you know, I, I just have, I just have questions. I'm just not necessarily prepared to um, invest this heavily in a, in a guy um based on what he did in 2020 again the metrics are all they're all fine there's nothing that necessarily stands out a lot of the stat cast metrics do stand out but again you know the stat cast metrics also regress to the mean and so you know again i don't think i'm ready to go there with him but i can understand the excitement for a guy who could have a a, a really solid batting average with some power in a Mets lineup that I think is going to be very good because I think they're going to make a couple additions this um, this winter. So yeah, he's going on ninety point two five after the first eight drafts. It's just uh, it's interesting with him because you know the, the walk rate dropped a little bit this last year, but the barrel rate dropped jumped six percent. The hard hit rate jumped twelve percent. Like those are big big jumps. Like where are where are we going back to the kind of seven eight percent guy instead of the thirteen percent guy? When it comes to barrel rate, that that could change things quite a bit. So there are a lot of questions. The the bat the bat average wise looks pretty solid. Power wise, do you really expect a twenty home run guy, twenty five plus home run guy? I don't know if we're there right now. So I'm curious on Dom Smith. I'll probably be watching from afar when it comes to Dom Smith. Now the tenth first baseman off the board, he has first base, second base, third base eligibility. He's a guy that I never draft because I just have some anti-Max Muncy in me for some reason. I just, I'm just not a fan. Like last year, he had a buck ninety-two, um, you know, two nine, two fifty-one, two sixty-three. He had thirty-five home runs back-to-back years. He had twelve home runs last year. I just, I, I find myself never drafting him, and people say I'm crazy, and maybe I am. But what's your take on Max, Max Muncy? Yeah, I mean, I was hoping that there would be more of a buy-low opportunity for Muncy. You know, with the 192 batting average, I mean, on a on a 203 Babbitt, uh, the ground ball rate was elevated, which is certainly, I think, um, of note. Uh, you know, the line drive rate was super low as well. So, you know, it, it kind of makes sense. But I think over the course of a full year, that probably makes up for it. Barrel rate was in line with what it was in 2019 when he had an outstanding season. He's got an incredible, um, you know, plate discipline, 18.3% O swing contact rate is actually up a little bit um, this past year. 
So um, overall, you know, I think the, and the position eligibility is pretty solid. We know with the Dodgers, I mean, he played pretty much every day um, and he plays around the diamond. So that position eligibility is, is certainly um, nice. So I think he's solid and fine in this particular um, area. You know, again, probably not somebody that I'm going to target here just because of what he provides and, and um, you know, he's not going to provide you with great batting average and he's not going to provide you with speed. And I think you can get the other stuff later on. So probably not going to go after them for that, but, and I was hoping like he'd fall to like, you know, 150 or something like that, but clearly not going to happen. So I'm probably out at this cost because it's pretty much what you were paying for him last year, I think. Yeah. Pick 99 is too rich for my blood. It's just not going to happen. You mentioned he's basically helping you in three of the five categories, which you draft guys like that in round 20 or something that's when you're just filling things at the end it's it's tough to take that plunge at that point in the draft the other thing is i'm not saying they do it because i think they like him enough but the dodgers have no problems with filling positions with other players they have tons of options there so i'm not saying they're going to pinch max muncie but you know if he's struggling or something they could easily give him a breather that's not they have the guys to do it unlike some other teams so he's just a guy to keep an eye on a bag and average asset that uh you know I could be totally off with this because I'm not looking at all this, the other numbers, but he's a lot like Jock Peterson, but he has multi-position eligibility. Like the average isn't there, but tons of power. So, but except Muncie can hit lefties. That's a big difference. So I'll go with that, but it's uh, something to think about when you look at the overall stat line when things are said and done. All right. Two targets pick 11 through 20 ADP wise for first base. The ADPs are Rizzo, Goldie, Alec Baum, Eric Hosmer, Mustakis, Ryan Mountcastle, Reese Hoskins, Jake Cronenworth, Josh Bell, Christian Walker. That's 11 through 20 in FBC, ADP. Who is your first guy? Do I have to take two? <laughs> I got two written down. You can only take one if you want. Okay. I think I'm, I would only take one of these guys, I think. Um, Rizzo, for me, um, is a target right now uh, at pick 95. Um I think he pretty much did exactly what he has always done last year, um, but with a 218 Babbitt. So walk rate was high, uh, strikeout rate was low, uh, contact rate about the same, actually improved um, overall. Uh, O swing about the same as it has been previously. You know, the hard hit, 35.3% down slightly. Again, he was going up against central central pitching. His exit velocity was down overall. But he's actually an interesting guy. Believe it or not, his max exit velo for his entire career was this year. He had a, he had a batted ball at 114.5 um, this year, which is almost a full mile power higher than any other ball he had ever hit before. And so that act, his barrel rate was actually up, um, highest point since 2017. Um, so again, he's pretty much like the identical, identical guy to what he's been um, all the time, and he's and he's going way later. And I think he's going to be a batting average asset. Uh, I think he'll do what he normally does in terms of runs and RBI. I think he actually contributes a few stolen bases, probably, you know, three to five, nothing too, too big, but for first base, that's nice. 
and the batting average will be should be pretty nice. And the power, it won't necessarily be where I think a lot of these other first basemen going this area would necessarily be, but I don't mind if he gets to 25, you know, as opposed to like a 35 or something like that. I feel like that's a difference I can make up um, later on throughout the draft and just by kind of grinding out um, uh, matchups. So I actually like Rizzo going where he's going right now at pick 95. Who, who's your number Who's your guy between 11 and, and 20 that you would go after? Yeah, first off, Rizzo, I think I, I don't understand how he's going this late. I, I baffles my mind when I, when I see that. But um, one of my two guys is Ryan Mountcastle at 152. This is more if you're confident in your roster up to this point in time, because I think he's a good gamble in an overall competition. Uh, batting average-wise, you know, he hit 333 in a small sample here, but 312 last year, 297 the year before in the minors. Like we've seen progression and becoming a very quality hitter. The power has developed as well, 13 homers, 25 homers at five. Last year in his short sample, the strikeout rate, not too bad for a first-timer, 21.4%. And he had the best walk rate of his entire career, better than any year in the minor leagues at 7.9%. So I think there's some big strides taken from Ryan Mountcastle, who is a big-time prospect in the um, Baltimore Orioles uh, system. 7% barrel rate, 42% hard hit rate. Nothing that jumps off the page, but nothing like crazy. The biggest thing is, can he improve on a 44% ground ball rate? If he can improve on that, this guy has a lot of power and a lot of talent on his hand. Plus, he gets to hit in Baltimore and Camden Yards for half his games. So Mountcastle is a guy that I, I'm a big fan of. I was hoping he'd go later than this. This could be because it's a D.C., so guys are willing to take some chances earlier. Maybe in a real draft, he goes a little later because there's some risk involved with Mountcastle. But he's a guy that's definitely on my radar uh, as someone I'm looking to uh, take advantage of this draft season. Did you have a second one, or are you going to pass on that yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, you can pass. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm, no, I'm gonna go with one. I'm gonna go with one. Uh, we had a little reminder here from um, Rob DiPietro, who's in the comments. Actually, I don't mind Goldie. Um, yeah. You know, I probably wouldn't take go after him necessarily here at pick 107. So the value may not be the best, but um, but you know, he's kind of who he is, right? I mean, last year he had a really nice batting average, 304, only hit six home runs, but his barrel rate was similar to previous seasons. Um, you know, you may be worried, you know, uh, you know, his home park is a difficult one to hit home runs in, but he hit 34 in 2019. There's no major change in his, um, you know, uh, his stat cast metric, same max exit velocity, barrel rate, you know, pretty similar to 2019. He had 16 barrels that, that turned into only six home runs. So, you know, over the course of a longer season, I think that evens out a little bit hitting in the middle of that order, you know, he'll probably hit third in that order. So um, Goldie, I could see as, as, a, as a definite contributor um, next year. And I don't think he's that old. He's 33. So again, he's about the same age, I think, as Abreu is. So I'll, um, yeah, I'll, I'll go with Goldie, not necessarily a guy that I, I'm sure I would pick, but I don't mind the value where he's going right now. Yeah, no, he's definitely value. He's another guy I was looking at that uh, stood out at this point in the draft. But the other guy that I'll put is he's a 20th first baseman off the board, pick 171. I loved him last year as a corner infield option. Don't mind him as corner infield this year, but he could be your first baseman for me. That's Christian Walker. Saw another season with him with the D-back, seven home runs, hit 271, new career high after hitting 259 the year before. So, you know, 260 to 270 hitter, I'll take that. He's got 25-plus home run power in a heartbeat. He'll even uh, – still eight bags in 2019, so he might throw in five-plus stolen bases, which I think is very, very nice. 
And last year, you know, the bagging average went up. The the barrel rate went down a bit, but the hard contact rate was still pretty much in line. And the strikeout rate actually dropped from 25.7 to 20.6%. So I'm a big fan of that. The walk rate dropped as well. I think that was more because he was putting the ball in play more. His contact, um, his contact rates went up, at least in his zone contact, went up quite a bit. So it, it and he swung, he swung just in general swing percentage went up uh, almost four percent. So he was being more aggressive instead of kind of taking pitches and looking to just hit home runs. He was actually becoming a very good hitter. And if you play DFS, you noticed lots of doubles, lots of driving in guys, like two run singles and stuff. He's being a very good middle of the order bat. And then you throw in a full season of twenty five plus home runs at this point in the draft with maybe five plus steals. I think this guy is a very very talented first baseman that just keeps getting better because he's still very young. This will be technically his third full season, if you want to count 2020 as a full season. But he's going to be 30 years old in March, um, figuring things out still. I, I like him quite a bit. Uh, ground ball rate, it's been 42% the last two years. Uh, so if you can ever get that to change a little bit, that would be even more impressive. But if that's consistent, then the fly ball online drive rates are pretty nice. And you can do a lot of damage to that. Plus, he pulls the ball 40% of the time last year. So lots of things that go in, in positive directions for power that if the barrel rate gets back to normal uh, next year, he's going to have a lot of power. And I'm a big fan of uh, what Christian Walker brings to the plate in 2021. All right. Who is uh, your late round target 21 and later? Who is not, Bubba, <laughs> is a better question. There are so many yes, first basemen lot. going late that I'm like, why even bother getting somebody earlier on? Um, I'll, I'll just go one at a time and give you an opportunity, um, to weigh in as well. I'll just kind of go by, by ADP. I'll leave, I'll leave Trey Boo Boo for you. But, um, I mean, Hunter Dozier at around pick 250. Um, I may be making this up. I don't have it in front of me, but, uh, yeah. O swing was really solid. Contact rate was, um, fairly solid. I feel like over the course of the season, he really improved, gets a ton of plate appearances, even managed to steal four bases um, last year, 186 plate appearances. Remember he had COVID and was coming back for that. So the overall line isn't terrific, but I think the, the power speed combination there, and I think he's shown us how good he can be um, in the past that um, I really, I'll, I'll put him as one guy who I think around where he's going right now is a, is a pretty decent pick. Um, and then I'll let you take one. I love the Hunter, Hunter Dozier call. I've been baffled every time I see his ADP for either first base or outfield. I just don't get it. I think he's so much better than that. So I like that a lot. Uh, I'll get uh, Trey Boo Boo out of the way. He's going right before Hunter Dozier. You know, every report comes out. Uh, he, he's cancer free. He's already taking batting practice. He's getting ready. So he'll be 100% by spring training. Like all these things are pointing into the awesome direction. Going back to Baltimore for now, unless he gets traded somewhere because they tried trading him a couple years ago. But uh, I love Trey Mancini. The the hard hit rates, the barrel rates, the power, everything you want from a guy hitting in the middle of the order in a very hitter-friendly ballpark. Uh, Trey Boo Boo's there. Plus, you know, it's a pretty awesome story coming back from what he yeah, – from cancer and everything. So Trey Boo Boo, um, this is a guy that if – I think going into last season before we knew about the cancer, like the February drafts, March drafts, much higher than this in drafts. So this is kind of a guy that I think people are either sleeping on or going with a bit of caution – with like which I get, I understand, but the talent level is so good at this point in the draft. Big fan of Trey Boo Boo. Nice. Who um, else you got? So uh, let's see. The next guy on my list is Yuli Gurriel. Um, definitely a favorite of mine. He's older, but 
you know, last year, I was actually really pleased. I mean, the overall contact rate is super elite, um, continues to be the ground ball rate remained lower than his career has been. He had a 38.1% ground ball rate. Uh, Hard hit rate was decent. I think the big thing for him was a 235, uh, was a 235 Babbitt. And I don't necessarily think that there's anything there's no, there's nothing in his overall profile that points towards that, like a slight dip in line drive rate, you know, but again, we know that ground ball rate is really what we want to be looking for. He only had a 7.5% home run per fly ball rate, which is below, you know, his career average. He's obviously getting up in age at, at age 36. That's didn't stop Houston from re-signing him. Um, you know, he plays gold glove first base. So he's going to get those plate appearances. He's going to be in the heart of a lineup that hopefully will return Jordan Alvarez um, next year. They'll still have Bregman. Um, they'll still have Tucker. So it's going to be a really good offense. And I just love the possibility of getting a batting average from my first baseman that late in drafts. Um, you know, a little bit of a dip in power, but again, that's not the biggest of my concerns as I build a team initially. So I think that, uh, Yuli's a guy that I'm probably going to have a lot of. I'm a little sad that he um, that he doesn't have third base eligibility anymore. That's a little bit of a bummer um, for me. He's only going to be first base eligible next year, at least in NFBC drafts. So that's a little bit sad, but I do I do love me some um, some Yuli Gurriel. Yeah, uh, Miguel Sano, 22nd first baseman off the board, battled a lot of injuries last year. He should be coming back, getting regular playing time at first base again. And we know what that power he brings to the dish is. The batting average is always suspect with Miguel Sano, but the power cannot be denied. He pretty much leads all categories and or he's near the top in hard hits, barrels, max exavilos. Like Miguel is the poster child for you know stat cast. And it's legit because when he hits the ball, it goes a long, long way. So uh, Miguel Sano at this point in the draft would pick two hundred, give or take. The guy with forty plus home run upside and a very potent Minnesota Twins lineup. I, I got no problems with Miggy Snow at this uh, point in time. Just stay healthy, and uh, he'll pay off in big, big way. Yeah, next up for me uh, is Carlos Santana. I mean, good God. A 326 ADP. Mm-hmm. Um, this is from a guy, like, the major difference in his profile, again, was Babbitt. He hit 199 this year. Um, eight home runs, 34 runs, 30 RBI, just to check in with folks. That's like, you know, 600 plate appearances, probably close to 80, 80, you know, like 20 plus home runs. And that's with a 199 Babip on a, on a Cleveland team that really struggled, uh, to hit this entire year you know, uh, 18.4% walk rate, elite O-swing at 18.9%, elite contact rate. You know, the skills are all all there. Um, where we did see a little bit of give was with the exit velocity, you know, um, or just with the stack cast metrics, the barrel rate went down a little bit. You know, max velo went down a little bit. But, um you know, depending on where he lands, if he's getting everyday plate appearances in the middle of a lineup, he's just going to produce. And at a 326 ADP, you know, I think I think what I would expect is he's not going to hit 281. He was never going to do that, right? That was a career high. But I can see him hitting like 250 with 30 home runs, 
you know, 80 runs, 80 RBI, right? That's what Steamer has him at 240, 26 home runs, 83 runs, 84 RBI, which to me just seems, um, it seems kind of wonderful, you know? Um, that, that would rank him as the 165th best player, and you're getting him at a 326 ADP. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to wrap it up with this one because I think we could probably name off about 10 more in this range because yeah, there's could. a ton of them. There's a ton of them, but my, my last one will be the 380 ADP 41st off the board, Evan White of the Seattle Mariners. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, he hit 176 last year, but he had eight homers, one uh, stolen base. Steamer's gone for 233, 24 homers, five stolen bases. Um, he, he's a young kid that continues to develop the bat. If you go through the minors – he was a, a no power guy. Now he's got power. He's working on getting the average back. Even last year in a, in a rough season, a fourteen percent barrel rate and a fifty-two and a half percent hard hit rate. It was just a, a strikeout rate that was through the moon of forty-one point six percent. You know, it's twenty-three percent in, in nineteen, twenty-seven point eight in eighteen. You got to imagine that strikeout rate's going to come down. That'll help the BABIP, which has always been over three hundred in the minors, get back up from two sixty-four to at least reasonable, which will obviously raise the batting average. And the home runs will continue to come with it. I think there's a ton to like with this kid. Um, you know, ground ball rate of 44% with a fly ball of 24. Like, you just work on the small things. And he's, he's been doing that year after year in the minors. I think uh, the, the glove's going to keep him out. They're one of the best defenders at first base coming through the system. And people are raving about him this year. So Evan White, at that point in the draft, is basically free. Uh, big, big fan of uh, Mr. Evan White. Love that call. Um, but yeah, we could probably name a bunch off, but I think we'll talk about some more in the listener questions. So we got lots of those and we'll probably hit on some of these guys also in other previews as we get going. But basically it goes back to the point that we started out the show with first base, really, really deep, really deep. So, uh, you don't have to get too crazy if you don't want to, but let's start things off here with our buddy Cubby Knoll at Cubby Knoll. Which first baseman is your point of no return? If I don't get X first baseman that I'm essentially punting it. Yeah, I think this is a, a pretty frequent question that we get. Um, you know, for me, it's like all positions are, you know, so it's like if I have a really good third baseman and I have a really good corner infielder already, you know, then if my first baseman is as good as my corner infielder would generally be, then I think I'm fine. And I think there's a lot of guys. I mean, if I if my first baseman is Carlos Santana, if he if he signs and he signs somewhere where he's going to play every day, you know, he's a switch hitter, like – pretty good defensively, I think, you know, then I have no problem with Carlos Santana at pick 326 being my starting first baseman. I mean, if CJ Cron ends up, Cron, Cron, if he ends up in his starting place again, right? Like I'm fine with him at, at 327 because, you know, again, like if a guy is my first baseman and he's giving me not that much batting average, he's giving me power and RBI, you know, then, then that's fine. As long as he's able to do the equivalent of like a, what a corner infielder would do, then I'm fine with him as my first baseman. And I actually think looking at this, I mean, if I, I was only, I wasn't really kidding. I mean, like if I, I don't like any of the guys after Rizzo really, like from a value perspective, I just think that there's warts on all of them. Um, and so I'm perfectly fine if I don't get a first baseman by Rizzo you know, waiting. I mean, I think Jared Walsh is kind of interesting because he's, mm-hmm. he's a little bit like he reminds me of Matt Olson was like three or four years ago, just going crazy, has some really interesting skills. But like, yeah, if I get Hunter Dozier as my starting first baseman, you know, at two pick 250, I'm fine with that. If I get Guriel at 292, I'm fine with that. So 
you know, again, like that's maybe not necessarily ideal, but I think that we shouldn't be as focused in on like what the position is or what they're playing in our lineup and more about like, you know, where do I feel like I could get some value so that if this guy is my first baseman, even though he's not very good, he's able to bring a lot of value to my team. So like Carlos Santana is a perfect, perfect example. I wait until pick 326 to draft my first baseman and he's it goes an ADP of 326. And yet if he pr- produces like Steamer believes he's going to produce and he's the 156th best hitter, that's a huge amount of a huge amount of value that you've just added to your team. Whereas whether he was your fifth outfielder or not, you know, theoretically you could have a better outfielder because you waited on first base to get that value. So I actually see it as an opportunity for value. So I'm less focused on like, you know, who is that first baseman for me, but just, you know, get that value. And I feel like first base this year is, is a place where you can really do that. I think in a, in a very meaningful way. Yeah, no, that that's the biggest takeaway is where you're getting these guys super late. That means you're filling other spots with some pretty talented players. And you, so you don't have to worry about your cutoff points. Like if I go to battle with Jesus Aguilar at first base, well, heck I did that in like three leagues this year. It's not the end of the world at 293 because um, that means he did something else very, very good elsewhere. A uh, Brandon Belt at 360. Like, mm-hmm. I know he's not great, but we saw he did last year. I expect a little regression, but still a pretty solid ball player that's going to drive and runs, get on base, and do things at pick 360. Uh, like I said, agent, Bubba, this year? After, after this next year. After this next year. Okay. Yeah. He's got one more year. For him to get traded. I've said it for years. Put him in a ballpark with like we saw it this year. When just not the real AT and T. The dude's power is ridiculous. Put put him in Yankee Stadium. I know everybody's yep. always talked about that, but I take him in Wrigley. No. When Rizzo goes, sign sign Belt cheap. I don't care. Um, there's lots of places. Angels acquisition. Yeah, there's a lot of places he could go. Pretty much anywhere's better than where he's at now. Yeah. Um, totally. uh, Evan White, like I said, I, I could take him at first base. Zero problems with that at all. If I had to pick a point, Evan White would probably be my guy. Like, I really don't. As much as we love Joey Votto, I, I'm kind of done with Joey Votto, and he's after Evan White. So Evan White would probably be my cutoff point. Obviously, some guys in front I wouldn't be running to pick uh, to take. Just like Michael Chavis, I think I'd rather have Evan White in a heartbeat. Stuff along those lines, but I'd probably, you know, draw the line. I better have someone before Evan White. Otherwise, we're in big trouble. But, um, yeah, it, it is weird. Like, you got that 11 through 20 range we talked about. We mentioned I mentioned a few guys. You mentioned one guy. Jared Walsh is interesting. But then it gets real murky until you get to like 20, 21-ish. And then there's just a bunch of the guys. Like even Andrew Vaughn is interesting. Like we haven't really seen him do it, but he should be playing every day that's coming up here at 240. Like that's an intriguing one. So there's there's a lot of uh, options at the first base position that'll – be fun come drafting. And, and you could totally see them doing what they did with with um with Eloy, right? Where they mm-hmm. signed him to that big contract ahead of time. Did they do the same thing with uh Lou Bob? Uh, yeah. Lubob? Yeah, yeah, they did the same thing. So why not do the same thing with Vaughn? Then he's the everyday DH, right? Or he moves in and out with the Brayu now that Encarnacion is gone. Yep. And from all accounts, I mean the dude is just a he's an absolute masher. There's no question yep. about it. So um I love that call too on him. Yeah, it just shows the depth. It's, it's it's really crazy. When I first started digging in about a week or so ago, I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, in recent years, we've been kind of depressed with first base, thinking you got to get a guy early, and now it's just like, boom. It's like <laughs> it's like we're deep again. This is the position, finally, again. Great. Um, Joseph Morrow asks, are you buying Eric Hosmer at his current NFBC price? Seems steep at pick 140. I like the lineup in the short 2020 season results. 
Was this a function of the short season, or can we anticipate this type of production sticking? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I think I'm fine with it. Um, I think, you know, like you look at him throughout his career, you know, he's just, the, he's kind of the same guy, right? Like, as long as you're not expecting him to like go like, you know, some sort of revolution from him, you know, he's going to hit around 20 home runs. He's probably going to go 80, 80, you know, with a little bit of speed and a decent, like better than league average, but not too much better than league average batting average. You know, I think the difference, like, right. You look at his 2019 season for the Padres, 265, 22 home runs, 72 runs, 99 RBIs. Well, the difference between the 2019 Padres, you know, and the 2021 Padres is going to be that they're a lot more talented. So as long as he's in the middle of that lineup, as long as he's playing every day, you know, he's going to produce, I think, from accounting stats perspective. And so I definitely think that there, that he's a, he's not a super risky pick there, barring some sort of injury. But I do think that like people are probably going to go a little bit overboard, like in terms of, you know, thinking that he's like found found God with the uh, with his launch angle. ground ball rate, you know, like um, the launch angle revolution and stuff like that. I was listening to um, uh, the pole hitter podcast actually right before, but right before this, um, uh, and they had uh, the episode with Alex Chamberlain, our buddy and trivia teammate Alex Chamberlain, and he was pointing out how you know Hosmer has actually done this before you know, had that low of a ground ball rate multiple times throughout his career, right? And so what the difference is, I think, potentially, and again, we never saw anything, I think, during the offseason with him talking about, you know, working on the launch angle. Maybe there's something, you know, that has, maybe there's something that he was actually working on that. But, um, you know, he's been there before. And so, um I'm not like totally bought in on that, on it, at least going like him being some sort of overwhelming source of power. Now, I think that he's kind of going to be the guy that he's always been. And I think that's fine at that price. Um, I think it's actually fairly stable. I just don't think there's necessarily the ceiling that maybe we uh, might have from some similar hitters going in that neighborhood. So, you know, I don't know if I'll go up all, how many shares I'll have of him, but I don't think it's a bad cost, but I also don't think there's a ton of ceiling there for him. Yeah, no, he's steady Eddie. Like, that's why he was great when he was after, like, pick 250, corner infielder, going to lock in, like, a steady baseline of numbers I can count on. Now it's like, okay, he's going a little after Rizzo. He's close to Mustakis, Hoskins, some other guys where they might be more volatile, but also have probably a higher ceiling than Eric Hosmer. So, and then plus, that's just the first base. Like you said, other positions. It, it gets much more interesting. I like the guy. I like the changes he made. Uh, it's just a matter of... Can you take that risk? That's a big, big question. Uh, Governor of Givener asks, who is your most underrated first baseman according to early ADP? My early projections say Rizzo. What say you guys? I think it's Rizzo or maybe Carlos Santana, but like you said, but I don't know. It's so deep. We can make arguments for a handful of guys probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think I agree with you. I think it is. um, I think it is Rizzo. I have him as the 36th ranked player um overall based on his steamer projection and he was going at pick 99 so within the top 100 picks he's like a 63 adp bargain according to steamer and again like i need to dial dive in and figure out whether that makes a lot of sense but that is an absolutely absolutely massive um 
uh, you know, uh, value, I think, um, and one that people should definitely be going after. Um, outside of that, I do think that, that Santana is probably the best one. Um, you know, again, I have him as the 165th ranked player going 326. So, you know, again, I'm not sure. It's essentially $9 worth of value. He's a $10 player. And at that point in time, he's $1 um, or around there, maybe $2. Uh, I can't remember exactly what it is. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's huge value. So those would be the guys that I think are the most. Um, and then I always, you know, and, and then in that sense, you also have to balance it out with the ceiling, right? Like, whereas Rowdy Tellez, you know, who I think we're going to talk about in a little bit, you know, he's like pretty high up there too. He's right behind Santana going a little bit ahead of him, but you may say, well, you know, if everything hits right for Santana, you know, I still think the batting average is probably 250, 260. Whereas with Tellez and his skill set, you know, you could be talking about like a top five first baseman if everything goes right. So, you know, that's where you need to factor in those pieces, but those would be, those would be like two guys that stand out to me as, as bargains. Yeah, I like to think of guys, and it doesn't always, you know, go like switch easily to to the way we look at a twenty twenty one per se. But you know, going into twenty twenty drafts, Rizzo was like the third first baseman off the board. Now he's the eleventh. All of a sudden, like, do these guys really become that much better than him? That many of them? You just have to like sit back and think about things. Like Carlos Santana was like pick seventeen or eighteen first baseman off the board. Now he dropped a ton to thirty seven. Just little things like that. I like, guess that's not the end all be all by any means. That's like the lazy analysis, but something that stands out to me. What made a guy drop this much? Like, where where did this come from? Is there a valid reason? Okay, sure, great. If not, then yes, this was extreme value in the grand scheme of things. So um, Rizzo stands out in a big way. It's fun if people go check out Ryan Bloomfield's Twitter. He's doing a DC and like his first eight or nine rounds is basically like the if he never saw twenty twenty and he's going off like twenty twenty rankings, the draft is loaded. It, it's crazy looking at that roster. So. Not saying it's going to pan out that way because obviously things have changed since then, but it's interesting to see how many guys are going a lot later right now than we'd expect. And Rizzo, definitely one of them. Um, at SMMS79 asks Game theory question Do you give any thought to position scarcity when filling infield utility spots? So, at first base, is there any merit to grabbing two of the top guys, knowing you are making a thin position even thinner and perhaps your own assets more valuable? Um, so that that's kind of his well, he said, and yes, go LFC, your Liverpool boys. But um, I think we decided it's not a thin position this year for one. Yeah, I mean, I think I never I, I always draft to try to draft the best team, you know, like the team that for with every single one of my picks, I want to draft the best guy. And I don't worry and I don't think about what anybody else in the draft room is doing, honestly. Um, you know, it may be like, if you're doing an auction, that's probably a bad way to go about doing it, you know, which maybe I'll do an auction this year. Um, but I'm just really focused on taking the best player. And so I don't think you should necessarily look at that because especially like a position like first base, there's always guys that come out of nowhere, right? There's always guys who, who will hit for power. There's always guys who, if they get shifted into third, fourth, fifth in a lineup, you know, they're, they're going to be absolute, you know, or not absolute studs, but they're going to be studs. So I wouldn't be worrying too much about, you know, that type of stuff, because again, like at that particular point in the draft, you know, you're missing out on other guys. Right. And we've already talked about how we actually don't like the value of a lot of these middle guys. So let's say you go, you draft a Brayu, um, you know, at pick 32, and then it comes around to you and you're like, Oh, Rizzo's still on the board. And then you take Rizzo. 
you know, well, that's great. Those are two really good players who represent really good value. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad approach. But then you also have to be thinking about, okay, so I also drafted, you know, two starting pitchers and a relief pitcher before then. So that's my first five picks. And I'm in, you know, I'm in round seven. So where is my stolen, where are my stolen bases coming from? You know, right, would be a question. And so again, like if that suits your team, if it suits how you're building your team, I would do that because it benefits your team. I would never think about like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to stick it to the guys in my league by going after, you know, um, you know, by making this position thinner, because it means that you miss out on a guy who, who's better, you know, potentially again, but um, again, so it's, it's all contextual, but I, I, I don't think about um, playing that. I think that's sometimes we overthink uh, things like that. At least that's my perspective. You know, I'm sure there are people who make a counter argument to that, but my perspective is that we tend to think about that a little bit too much. That's why I don't like to think about what other people are doing either. Like I like to be aware of which players are on the board, like, which players have my guys, which positions have my opponents already filled just in case they're next to me and I've got a decision to make about this guy or that guy. Now I think about those things, but not, not on like a, you know, um, limiting the options of my opponents and making, having that drive decision-making in my draft. No, that makes a lot of sense. Like, I guess the example I'll give him is, like when you go catcher early the way you do to get to like the top so many guys, that kind of is an angle at it. It's not taking them super early, like you're saying, but it's an angle of kind of cornering the market there. Um, I, I don't do it on purpose. I thought about it because I like to kind of have an idea when I go into a draft of, you know, kind of these are the guys I want in these ranges or whatnot. And I go through in my head, you know, we talked about it at first base here, you know, passing on Freeman and Bellinger because there's better value later. Well, shortstop's like the deepest position on the planet. And there's so many awesome shortstops in the first round. Is it one of those where I say, you know what, as good as they are, I want to go get this pitcher. I want to get this, you know, third baseman. Like I want J-Ram over the shortstops because the third baseman or stuff like that. Or do I go, screw it. I'm going to go get one of these top three shortstops. And I'm going to come back in like round three and get Javi Baez and corner this market or something. I, I, I do think about that. I don't go in there saying I'm going to do it. But then I start thinking, okay, if I do this and I take these shortstops early, knowing I can go get like a Hori Polanco later or somebody oh, later right. in the draft, does it affect – what I'm missing by taking these shortstops early. And that's where the thought process comes from. Not that I'm going in there going, Hey, I'm taking these guys. I want to corner the market. If I corner the market though, how does it affect the rest of my team? And that's what I'm more concerned with than trying to, I guess, sweep in on something. So that's the way I would look at it instead of saying, Hey, I want to go do this. Yeah. And I love, I love how you brought up the catcher piece because I think, I, I think, you know, in all of these situations, and there was this like, there was a thread today on Twitter about catchers. Somebody had asked about like, what's the replacement level? And honestly, like, I was like, well, if I look at my spreadsheet, it says this, but you know, like I don't put my energy into the spreadsheet. I'm, I'm fortunate that there's other people who are a lot smarter than me that can put those spreadsheets together. But like the idea with, with the catchers is like, I see that as like a market inefficiency. I see yeah. that as an opportunity for me to improve my team because I feel like they're undervalued. And I think that's what the way that we need to be thinking about these. Sometimes we overthink these, like what we're trying to do, like early on in your drafts, like you're not necessarily as focused on value because it's very hard for those guys to return values. But as you think through who you want to target, where definitely be thinking like primary in front of your mind is where is there a market inefficiency? Like where is there a gap between how good I think this player is and where they're going in the draft? And how many of those guys can I get? Because again, as long as you get them and you're not like 
oh, every single one of these guys is like super high stolen base guy. So I'm going to be really great at, at, you know, in terms of the number of stolen bases I have, but, you know, not a well-rounded team, then you want to like, you know, back off of it, right? But you just want to be looking for those market inefficiencies. You want to be looking for those values, you know, and you want to be getting guys that improve your team for that reason, as opposed to, you know, to impact somebody else. So I think, anyways, that was a little bit of a, of a rant, but I do think that like a lot of times we overthink these things. No, um, that definitely is. It's definitely an over uh, thinking of the situation. I guess it's when you know the position is kind of shallow. Do you want to go like say second base? Do you want to go get two of the big guys early and then say, hey, I'm look like there's just you know football is the greatest example. Like, do I want to load up and get a bunch of running backs early because I know wide receivers deep? Do I want to go do that or do I want to get the best available wide receiver instead of like things like that is a, an angle. I think people try to bring it over to baseball. It's a little different in baseball. All right, Dave Petros Yellow with a question for us. I'm usually thinking. I usually think getting a first baseman early is the right thing. This year, though, my favorite first baseman is current NFBC price point is Jesus Aguilar. I really like Telez too. Is it nuts to wait and get them as first base and corner infield? I'm not going to say it's nuts. You're risking it, but they're they could both pan out in a big way. Like you know, to have them both first base and corner infield, you might want one to be a little more stable than the other. But hey, if they both hit your gold because you waited forever and you improved your team elsewhere beforehand it's just kind of where do you want to take your risk yeah um yeah exactly yeah i think we covered this in 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 pretty good depth um throughout so yeah i mean i think it's fine it's just again a matter of like you know the the sum of all the parts of your team how good is that and maybe first base is the weakest position that's fine as long as you've been able to reinforce elsewhere I don't know if based on like everything, like if Aguilar would necessarily be the guy that I go after, um, you know, or tell us, I think the one thing that you want to be careful about is like, not necessarily careful, but like the plate appearances is important, is important. And I don't know enough about the Blue Jays roster, you know, is tell going to have, you know, those everyday plate appearances, you know, again, you need to factor that in like early on in the season and make sure that you have access to those plate appearances so that you're not falling behind. It doesn't mean you don't go after a guy like Tellez, but um, just make sure that you're not uh, putting yourself in a hole to begin the season. Nope. Very, very true. Um, ben Tid at breaking Ben underscore T. He asks us besides Bellinger and maybe Christian Walker, do you guys have any targets for steals at first base? That's been a question we kind of debated throughout this because um, Bellinger's there. If Will Myers still has first base eligibility, that could be tremendous. But uh, there's a lot of guys that can give you five or six steals throughout this deal. Like, you're not going to get a big guy. Bellinger is pretty much your your go-to in this range. But there's a handful of guys that you can get steals from. I personally don't go into first base looking to find steals. I like to get a guy that can steal. But I already know kind of going into it, this is a pretty limited steal spot. What about you? Yeah, so, um, yeah, Bellinger, we talked about Dozier, you know, four stolen bases last year. Again, I think that might be a career high for him. He's not great at stealing bases from, like, a stolen base to caught stealing for uh, rate, but um, he's got it. Rizzo always manages to f- steal like three to five bases. And again, that, that matters over the course of a, of a, of a full season. Um, it's really, really important. Um, Evan White is a guy uh, I know you mentioned who's pretty quick um, speed wise, Bubba. Um, so he's another guy that I might be looking at for stolen bases um i think those are probably that's probably the extent of it 
Um, but I'm sure if we dug a little bit deeper, we might be able to find, oh, Cronenworth um, is another guy um, who steals bases um, at a decent clip. Um, those are the only guys that are kind of jumping out at me right at this. Pre- oh, and Danny Santana. I know we have a question about him later on, but I mean, if Danny Santana is, um, is healthy and has a full-time starting gig next year, I mean, we know how atrocious that Rangers lineup was. Um, they don't have him there right now, but if you were to get that, that could be super interesting at an ADP of like 460. Yeah, he's definitely going free in drafts right now. Um, Alex, at AJT126 asks, Bobby Dahlbeck seems criminally underrated after eight home runs and less than 100 plate appearances. Do you think he'll get to 40 home runs in a full season? I'll give my two cents real quick. I've talked about him quite a bit in uh, previous stuff as the, towards the end of the season. The dude's power is legit. That's never been in question. You know, 27 homers throughout the minors last year, uh, 32 the year before. The power's there, even a little bit of Steals. He had six steals in 2019. Always a high strike. I struck out 42.4% of the time in 2020. Usually he's more of a 25 to 35% strikeout guy. Still not great. But uh, Babbitt's through the roof. Um, batting average, I think 263 is a little high. Don't expect that. He walked a decent amount. But the power is legit. It's basically high power, potential batting average, just massive blow to your roster. Um, he hits the ball hard if he puts it in play, but you know he strikes out so much. How often does he put the ball in play? That's your big bugaboos. Um, so I think that's kind of the questions of why he's going so low. What are your thoughts on Bobby Dahlbeck? Yeah, I totally agree with what you said. I mean, let's say that's not a three ninety four BABIP. You know, let's say that's uh, you know whatever what Steamer has him as a three hundred two BABIP. Right? Then all of a sudden he's hitting a sub two hundred. Uh, his home run per fly ball rate last year was forty four point four percent. Um, you know, so I just think these are the types of indicators that we need to look at in these small sample sizes to figure out whether we think there's something sustainable or not. And like Bubba addressed, like that strikeout rate, it can't be that high because the fact of the matter is, is like, we don't, we can't just think about like fantasy. We got to think about whether he's good. So this is a guy who's playing first base, right? So you're expecting power to begin with, like, is he good defensively? I mean, not from everything that I've particularly seen. Right. And so is he actually a good baseball player? you know, maybe, maybe not, maybe he'll get a shot with the Red Sox, but, um, you know, you got to get that 600 plate appearances to get that 40 home runs. And the question is, even if you get there and that batting average is like 220, 210, you know, maybe you can do that depending on the type of league that you're in. Um, definitely much more interesting to me in an OBP league, but, um, I'm, it's a, just the type of profile that's a dime a dozen, you know, these guys who can hit the ball really hard, hit a bunch of home runs if they're good enough to play. It's just that most of them aren't good enough to play consistently. Like, like an example, Bobby Dahlbeck's going to pick 262-ish, give or take. After him, you have Rowdy Teles at 284. You got CJ Crone, Jesus Aguilar, Garrett Cooper, Carlos Santana, like all these guys that you could see doing the same thing as Dahlbeck or maybe even better. Yeah. So it's a... Evan White, Brandon Bell. I gotta just list them off if you want. So it's I like Bobby Dahlbeck. The when he was hitting well last year, he was fun to watch. He's young. Maybe something flicks. I don't know. But where he's getting drafted, to me, you're playing with fire is the is the issue. So I'll most likely be passing. I mean, I would I would bet money that ha- at the all-star break he's not playing on a regular basis. Um, That's a nice bold prediction out the gate. I like it. Um, but 
you want to know what it reminds me of? This is a totally random thing, but have you ever read Chronicles of Prydane? Do you know what that is? It's like no. a, it's like a, it's like a, a younger person's like a kind of, I don't know if it's sci-fi, but it's just like olden days. I read of Chronicles of Narnia. Okay, yeah. It's um, I mean, it's kind of it's not similar, I think, in uh, in in what it is, but it's just I'm reading it with my six year old, and it's cool. really good. And there's a there's a guy named Dalbin. And it, okay. um, it reminds me of uh, Bobby. Dahlbeck. Just a shout out to Chronicles of Perdane. Anybody who's read it, anybody who is reading it currently, it's a great series. I really enjoy it a lot. I would highly recommend it to everybody. It's five books. It's it's perfect because each each chapter is like eight to ten pages. So it's oh, like perfect. perfect chapter a night. Yeah, totally. Perfect. It's, it's it's great. I might have to check that out. That's my that's my reading level. Yeah, um, dude, it's good. It's just it's good for adults too. I really enjoy it. Yeah, cause I, I love to read, but I start falling asleep so fast I can't get very far. That's how the uh, beauty of reading for me now is like I read and I can fall asleep. Oops. Exactly. Um, Mike Carter, he asked a question that we already answered. So, Mike, thanks for uh, asking. But he asked, how do we value Anthony Rizzo? We value him as a heck of a value. So uh, we'll, we'll go there. Uh, Pete Alonzo Stan asks, when will we find out about the DH in the NL next season? Mainly thinking about my Dom, share, my Dom Smith shares, but I'm sure it applies to others. The way I'm going about it is I'm playing it like we're going to have the DH. It's a bargaining chip because they still – like the big the big negotiations after this season. But they're still going to be bargaining because they want the expended playoffs for this year and things like that. They're going to throw the DH in as a carrot because everybody wants the DH on both sides of it. So I, I, I'm planning on them having a DH. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I'd put it at like 95% that there's going to be an LDH. Yeah. I mean, and I'm just making that number up, but like – it just doesn't make sense. Like, not to I mean, to, to, to go to the DH and then to go back, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, well, these hitters didn't practice. These pitchers didn't practice hitting for a year, but now we're going to throw them up there. Like, it just doesn't work. So I would plan on it happening. And again, but like, it's like Bub and I are like, you know, we're great. We're great people. We're really important people, but we don't have these answers. Uh, no. We don't know any better than anybody else, like when exactly it'll happen, but. It's just pure speculation that they will. Yeah. But uh, we're, we're pretty confident in our speculation because to me, it's if you're the players association, by having the NLDH, you've created 16 new jobs or 15 new jobs. Don't you want that? Like this is part of the deal. So um, yeah, they're going to do it. It's just a matter of making it all work. Uh, Joe McHugh at the underscore McHugh asks roster construction, especially in a 15 teamer. Do you feel good about passing on a first baseman in the first 10 to 12 rounds? Relying on multiple position guys are essentially a first base platoon. Yeah, we kind of hit on that. You don't even need a platoon, Joe. There's tons of guys back there. Yeah, agreed. So you are you're good in that one. Our buddy Brian Vogel, <laughs> this is fun. Who is Toby's real muto at first base? Who's my real muto at first base? Um, I don't know. I mean, if I had to say, I had. Uh... I mean, it's so hard because there's so much that goes into it. And I know people were joking around, like, if there was a real Muto at another position, he wouldn't be Toby's JTR, um, which I kind of agree with. I mean, I think the, guy, the two guys that I will own the most of at first base are probably uh, Yuli Gurriel and Carlos Santana. Again, depending on where Carlos Santana lands, I think that will be a major question mark. But um, I like both of those guys. I think those values are absolutely phenomenal. And so it might be corner infielder um, in, in some instances. It could be my first baseman. But, um, you know, those are the guys that I think will be kind of the guys that I have a, a crap ton of shares of 
um, moving forward. And then Rizzo. I mean, if Rizzo's price stays the same, that'll be the guy that's like higher up in drafts that I can see myself targeting around, around pick 100 on a consistent basis. Or, or one of those guys that like maybe it's like around that area. If he falls to me, then I, then I take him instead of those other guys. But um, yeah. Yeah, I got I to gotta imagine more people start to see the same thing we do and Rizzo's got to move up the draft boards. I just, I just can't see it. But I could definitely see Carlos Santana being your Muto. I could see that in a heartbeat. Uh, Richard Sands asks, I own Bell in a dynasty league, Josh Bell. I also own Dom Smith. What do I do with Bell? Hold and put on bench because his value is probably as low as it gets or sell and get 50 cents on the dollar. He drafted him around pick 90. He's now going around pick 200. I know both the you and I are pretty down on Josh Bell. Like I know he's dynasty's different than redraft, but he might not even be a pirate pretty soon. So it, it's really tough to see what I, I guess I'd hold him for 50 cents on the dollar stinks, but maybe throw him in as a package deal and get something bigger back. I don't know. What about you? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would, I think I would probably hold at this point in time. Valuations can change really dramatically, I think. Um, and, and so, you know, there was something going on. It was weird. It was bizarre with Bell last year. It's really hard to pinpoint, but I think it's also important to recognize it was a 60 game season, a 60 game sample. He still has really good plate discipline. Um, the contact rate is still, you know, pretty good. If you look at his 15 game rolling average, it was actually back to his three year average in the last 15 games of the season. You know, the ground ball rate was act was also sky high at that same point in time. So he's obviously making some sort of adjustments, but you know, again, this guy has been a really good hitter. He's still, how old is he? He's 28. He's young. There's no reason for him to fall off like this. So if I were to say like, you know, what is more likely to happen? Josh Bell becomes totally irrelevant and never plays in baseball again, in which case selling him for 50 cents on the dollar makes sense. Or Josh Bell gets somewhere close to where he's been in the past. I would say it's much more likely he gets closer to where he's been in the past. And again, like Bubba mentioned, he may not be a pirate. Like they may not want to pay his salary, you know, now that he's in arbitration. Um, so he may, you know, he may end up not being a pirate and, you could see a really smart team who sees what they've got in him. He's still got, you know, those max exit velos, right? Like he's still got uh, that barrel rate from last year. Like he's, he's done, he does things that not a lot of guys can do. Like this year's max exit velo was 114.2. And again, you never look at things in, in isolation, right? You never just look at max exit below, but even his barrel rate was 8.6% this year, you know? So again, like, I think there's still things that he can do really well that other guys can't, and there's still solid parts of the profile. So hold on to him, you know, hope he gets a position into a position where he can play every day and kind of show that he can be that guy again. All right. Nick at Mbiscardi 17 asks, who is this year's big breakout and why is his name Rowdy Telez? Well, there's a lot of potential breakouts or at least value plays we talked about. But uh, Rowdy Telez, I was big on him last year. He started to finally get at bats, which was good to see towards the end of the year as they started moving guys around and, and clearing up space. He only played in 35 games, 127 at bats, but hit eight homers, 283 average, only strikes out, struck out 15.7% of the time, which is outstanding. Walk rate was good. But 8.4% uh, barrel after a 13.2 and a 12%. That makes me wonder what's going on. But the hard hit rate, best of his career. At forty five point three, so uh, there's a little bit of that and a little bit of that with uh, with the uh, Rowdy Tellez. But the contact rate was great this last year. 
rose tremendously in zone and chase contact. Both went up a ton. His whiff rate dropped from 31.3 to 23.5. So he's became a better overall hitter, making better contact, a lot less swing and miss, more aggressive on the first pitches. Power was there. So the barrels might not have been there, but the hard hit rates were there. So when he did hit it, he hit it very, very well. Dude, the dude is a beast at the plate. That's never been the problem. It's been playing time. If he gets great playing time, I think there's a lot to like with Telez. What say you? Yeah, I mean, I think there's so many guys it could be. Um, you know, uh, so you could just go down the line. So I think Evan White, who you mentioned before, is definitely a guy who could make that leap, right? Like where he's got pieces to the puzzle um, and he's just got to put it together. I think, you know, uh, Nate Lau, Nate Lowe, sorry, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. I know Yancey asked about him. You know, he's a potential guy who could who could break out this year. Um, there's so many slow and steady guys who could re-break out. Andrew Vaughn, you know, at 244. Jared Walsh at pick 200. There's a lot of different guys. And I think that's what's interesting about first base position. There's a ton of depth. There's a ton of old veterans you can go to. But there's also a lot of younger guys who could take that next step to be the next, you know, really great power hitter. And there's a variety of different profiles and what that looks like in these guys. So I think Tellez is a great example. I think it's a great shout out. He should have every opportunity. I think he's a great um, guy to draft and he's going to shoot up draft boards as we get closer to March, especially if he's got access to playing time. Um, but I think there's a variety of different guys who it could be. No doubt about it. Uh, Rob DiPietro, Mr. Ad Deadpool hitter himself. He asked what's going on with Yuli Gurriel more ju- than just Babbitt problems. Um, you kind of hit on him earlier. Do you want to do a quick recap on that? Um, I don't know if Rob's still in there in the chat, but uh, we I covered him already. But, um, you know, it's essentially all the same for Yuli. You know, and again, I think we, we knew that 2019 was probably going to be like his best season or one of his best seasons. But, you know, let's go across the board. Ground ball rate is exactly the same as last year. Um, hard hit rate down 2.6%, you know, uh, in a 60-game sample, his contact rate was the exact same as it was before. O-swing slightly elevated, but not out of the you know, realm of, of possibilities. The max exit below was down about three miles per hour. The barrel rate was actually up from 2019. Hard hit rate was down slightly. So again, with the age and that max exit below going down, a little bit of concerns, but also in 2018, you know, his max exit below was 107, 108 as well. So he's been there before. I see him as pretty much the same guy, one year older, so a little bit more risk. But you know, I love the profile. I love the high. I love the high, the batting average, which he should have. He should have a high batting average, um, you know, for a first baseman. And then the plate appearances, right? He should play every single day. So I love Yuli Gurriel, especially at the price where he's going. I think it's phenomenal. Yeah, uh, Yancey Eaton. He asked us, "What are you guys doing with Nate Lowe?" Uh, he deserves better, and I agree. He does deserve better. My biggest thing is he deserves to play every day. So talk to the Rays first. When that happens, Nate Lowe will deserve much better. Uh, the power has always been legit in the minors. We even saw it this last year. He started hitting the ball a little more consistently. But my biggest question marks is playing time. And in his two stints with the Rays, 29.6% K rate last year in 2019, 36.8% 2020. He's always been about a 20-ish guy, except for one blip in 2018. Been a decent strikeout guy, good walk guy. The walks came back in 2020. They weren't there in 2019. So he saw good plate discipline last year. The power was there. Batting average dropped a bit with the strikeout rate rising. It makes me wonder, is he pressing? What's he doing? Because the barrel rate went up. The hard hit rate was pretty similar. 
Um, the biggest thing for me is playing time. If I find out Nate Lowe is playing first base every day, I will bump him up a ton in my what I want because I think he's that talented. But you have G Man Choi, you have Yandy Diaz, you have so many problems there in Tampa Bay. It's tough, and I know I know they even tried Lowe at third base. So there's so many issues there with Nate Lowe, but that's my two cents on that. Yeah, um, I agree with with everything you said, Bubba. I mean, one thing I think you need to note about the strikeout rate is he did have a 36.8% strikeout rate, but his contact rate was 73.9%. So that's slightly below league average. League average is about like, depending on the year, around like 76%, I want to say. So he's slightly worse than league average on contact rate. The strikeout is way higher. And so for that, me, that tells me there's positive regression there. Like he should be much closer to league average. Um, he's also got great play discipline, which I really like a lot. His ground ball rate did shoot up last year. Again, small sample size, but it was up 6%, well above league average. That's a little bit of an area of concern. But again, you know, let's check his minor leagues. What has that ground ball rate been? So he's had a relatively elevated ground ball rate throughout his minor league career. So you know, you want to see that that might put a little bit of a cap on the the power potential. But like Bubba mentioned, like max exit below is at 114. Um, uh, his barrel rate, 15.4% is really strong. Hard, hard hit rate is solid. So like, I think he's got everything there, but it's just as Bubba mentioned, like needs access to plate appearances. Can he hit lefties? All of those questions, or at least not necessarily, even necessarily can he hit lefties, but uh, will the Rays give him the opportunity to do that? And, and Yancey, you'll probably know better than we will on that. But um, again, the, the pieces are there, like Bubba mentioned, if he's got access to playing time to be a really good value in drafts, whether or not he'll see it, you know, we know the Rays are going to maximize, try to maximize the talent on that roster. And I'm just not sure that we're going to get enough consistent playing time anytime soon from Nate Lowe. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Uh, Andy Isner at Isner4 asks, Sano, a good bounce back candidate. Now it's tricky because I love Miguel Sano. I talked about him earlier. The, he's a stat cast darling. Every stat you want to look at it, it bleeds red. Um, but the strikeout rate went up to 44% this last year, usually a 36 to 38% guy, which is still not good, but we learned to live with that with Miguel Sano. Because he used to always walk in double digit percentages, that dropped to 8.8%. So there are some red flags this past season in the 53 games that he played. Again, maybe he figures it out in the second half of the full season. Who knows? There's, he's not going to get for average. You're hoping for a lot of power, and you're hoping he stays healthy, which he has not done in his entire career. So there's a lot of question marks just to know. As much as I love him, it's going to be hard for me to draft him. It's one of those – it's like the Luke Voigt thing who finally stayed healthy this year. If Miguel Sano plays 140-plus games, the dude's going to hit 45-plus home runs. He might hit 230, but he's going to have a ton of home runs. So it just depends on how you want to construct your roster. But it's a big if. Can he play that much? So for me, can he bounce back? Yes. Am I going to take him as one? Probably not. Yeah, I think you summed it up well. I mean, ah, that contact rate is gruesome. Yeah, um, it's brutal, and it's it's been getting worse. Um, you know, the last two seasons, and it's just hard. It's, it goes back to the Dahlbeck thing, right? Where it's just like, you know, yeah, he has power. I mean, Sano has the nice walk rate, but he just can't hit. Like, he just cannot make contact, and it's a it's a huge challenge, especially if you're playing an NFBC. You look at this guy, and over his last 900 plate appearances, his batting average is what probably like 220, you know, probably maybe even lower than that, like 220 ish. Like 
it's Joey Gallo all over again, but with, I think a, a much bigger downside. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I just, he's kind of who he is at this point. Right. And you can, you can draft him and you can hope that he, that he gets the better side of luck and ends up hitting 230, 240 with those 40 plus bombs. And then it's a brilliant pick. And that's kind of what you're hoping for. But the skills are trending in the absolute wrong direction. Yeah, that's the, that's the tough part. Even he used to be like a B, uh, OBP asset, might still be okay there. But even last year, he's below a 300 OBP, which will drown you. Like it's just it's getting trickier and trickier <laughs> with Miguel Sano. I love I love having him on my team because when he has a big night, it's a big night. Like it'll change your standings. But man, he can gut you for a while there too. All right, last question we have here at J-Dub, the gamer, J-Dub. Having overdrafted him last year only to watch him crater in the short season, I'm curious if Danny Santana has any bounce-back potential, and if so, to what range? Uh, you hinted earlier about his ADP. Uh, NFBC ADP is pretty wild. Uh, you can scroll for a while. He's a 48th first baseman off the board about after pick 450. Um, so that's basically free. He played nine games at first base this year. So he's NFBC eligible. If you're in a format that requires 10 games, he ain't first base eligible. Keep that in mind as well. Uh, the other thing I'll, I'll mention before I let Toby have it, because this was a guy he liked a lot last year, and I get it because the power speed, batting average, kind of, like there's a lot of things to like about uh, Danny Santana. He only played 15 games this past year between injuries and getting benched. So what's your thoughts on Danny Santana for 2021? Yeah, it was a really good kind of example of, I know that, um, I think it was Eno Saris and um, Jeff Zimmerman and, and Rob Silver, I think, talked about this a lot too. But it's like, how, what about these guys who are like zero war guys who are good fantasy-wise? And like, what's the risk of drafting them, right? Um, and I think we saw that a little bit from Santana. I mean, I think the thing about Santana is where he's going right now is 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 just a great spot, I think, to just take a shot on him. Like ADP of 450 you know, he's, he's 30 years old, you know, will he end up with the Rangers or not? Who knows? But like, I mean, you know, there's just, there's reasons to be, to think that he can still do what he did last year. Right. He had two stolen bases, you know, in just those 63 plate appearances. Um, his hard hit rate was still really strong. Um, you know, the contact rate dropped considerably, but again, we know he was injured and he was injured for part of the time he was playing. His average exit velocity was still north of a 90 miles per hour, close to 91 miles per hour. Uh, his barrel rate was 9.4%, which was better than 2019. Again, super, super small sample size, right? 32 batted ball events. But still, we know that what he's capable of. And there's very few people that do have that power-speed combo, especially with that tilt towards the speed, right? That 20-plus stolen base potential. And so especially in a league like we have right now where you have teams that are like not necessarily – well, they're tanking, but they're also like trying to find guys that they can kind of plug in as bargains. You could easily see Santana, whether it's with the Rangers or somewhere else, ending up with an everyday opportunity or at least being the first guy, utility guy off the bench. And I think they're going to be considerable value there. And I think the, a DC is a perfect spot to take in the draft champions league where it's like, you know, yes, he's first base right now, but he'll probably get outfield eligibility at some point next year too, if he's playing and he could get these other eligibilities. So a great, you know, shot in the dark to take at pick 450 plus. Um, I think he's, he's an excellent guy to go after um, in draft champion type formats as well. Yeah, no, I, I could see the appeal on draft champions for sure. 
Uh, that that makes a lot of sense because four fifty. What do you like the other guys at that price point? Like really, what are they that 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 he can offer you that they can't? Type so yeah, makes a lot of sense there. Well, all right, that'll wrap us up for our early season first base preview. A lot of great questions again, so keep those coming each and every podcast. That goes a long ways to kind of expanding on just talking about uh, the initial players in the player pool. It gives a, a deeper insight to each position, so that goes a long ways for helping us out. But uh, final thoughts, Toby, before we wrap up this one. Man, huge shout out to folks for the questions. I mean, it's, you know, the beginning of the off season and we're getting this, this many questions. So just, we have the best listeners um, in the world who listen to this podcast, the smartest fantasy baseball players. So thank you guys for listening and contributing to the podcast. It makes it a lot of fun and, and, a, and a lot better of a, of a product. So thank you for that. Yeah, no doubt about it. So we'll be doing second base next week. So get those big fun questions in for such a lovely position. So much fun Very over there. It's a uh, Whit Merrifield uh, and some others. Jose Altuve value, maybe we'll see. We'll talk about it. We'll see what's going on there. Could tell Marte bounce back. We'll see. But uh, there's some of your listener questions right there. I already see those coming a mile away. Um, but uh, keep them all coming. More and more of them. Check out Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I'm at BDIntrick. This is Bubba and the BatFlip episode 58, your early first base preview. Catch you guys next week. That is going to wrap us up for episode 154 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast and edition number 58 above in the Batflip. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Keep those questions coming. I uh, love getting those listener questions. A lot of fun to just kind of dive into these positions, cover positions, but really just thinking about roster construction, thinking about you know what where the values are this year. Um, a, a lot of fun. So next week we'll be tackling second base, which should be very interesting. Not necessarily a position I'm super excited about heading into 2021, but who knows, uh, maybe I will be surprised when I dive in a little bit deeper. Um, as always, uh, best of luck. Um, have a great uh, Thanksgiving. Well, I guess that's a week from today, so we'll have one more episode before that. But have a great time. I hope you're doing well, uh, enjoying your off-season. Uh, take care and be kind to one another.